Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork, or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friend, Corey, at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars sent you. You may be owed some money. After 911 and 411, call 541. That's 727-541-1741. Call Gulfstream Motorsports for a diminished value report. Due to my 28 years experience in the auto salvage business, I'm very good with wrecks. So if your car's been involved in a wreck, call me for a diminished value report. Call 727-541-1741. You may be owed some money for the lost value of your repaired vehicle. And visit us at GulfstreamMotorsports.com. For this list, we'll be discussing episodes that best encapsulate the blend of action, heart, fun, and social commentary that the original series is known for. And yes, you can expect some spoilers ahead. Number 10, The Naked Time. When a virus infects the Enterprise, inhibitions are tossed out the nearest airlock. Could be some form of space madness we've never heard of. Under the hyper-drunk influence of the affliction, Nurse Chapel professes her love for Spock. I'm in love with you, Mr. Spock. Kirk for his ship, and Sulu for topless fencing. Oh my. Fencing tones a muscle. Meanwhile, the restoration of the ship's decaying orbit around PSI 2000 is complicated when control of the vessel is taken over by a surly Irishman. Roses all have left your cheeks. Who's determined to entertain the crew with an impromptu variety show. I've watched them fade away and die. How long have you had that thing, Lieutenant? Since yesterday, Doctor. This morning I found out that he... I mean, she had had babies. Number nine, The Trouble with Tribbles. Undoubtedly the cuddliest installment of the original series, this episode is packed with humor, wheat, and bar fights. While on guard duty at K7, the Enterprise and the station are overrun by Tribbles. Now he tells me. Displaying both a natural love for chicken sandwiches and a hatred of Klingons. Jim, this man is a Klingon. The fast-breeding fluffballs become heroes when they expose Arn Darvin as the clean-shaven, suit-wearing Klingon saboteur responsible for poisoning the station's wheat. What about the grain, Bones? Thanks, Tribbles. Oh, yes, it was poison. Poisoned. Commodore? Commodore Decker? Number eight, the Doomsday Machine. What happened to your ship, Matt? A ship... Attack that that thing. While trying to aid the USS Constellation, the Enterprise comes face to face with the hellish maw of the Doomsday Machine. Looks very much like Commodore Decker's planet killer. It is pursuing us. With Kirk and Scotty trapped aboard the damaged ship. Transporter is damaged, we're taking evasive action. Commodore Decker, the Constellation's captain and sole survivor, takes command of the Enterprise with the aim of destroying the weapon. I'm in command here, Mr. Spock. Maintain your course, Helmsman. Get us in closer. Although Kirk saves the day, the highlight here is guest star William Wyndham, who channels both Captain Ahab and Humphrey Bogart while delivering a multi-layered blend of authority, vengeance, and vulnerability. There was, but not anymore. Meet your next pillow. Why do we make our pillow in the shape of a cube? I'll tell you. And now... Hey, Rocky! Watch me pull a rabbit out of my hat. Again? Nothing up my sleeve. Crystal! No doubt about it. I gotta get another hat. Now here's something we hope you'll really like. Hey, this is Tammy Edelbrock, and you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars.
<laughs> okay, listeners, welcome. You're tuned in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and I'm your show host, Robert. Run your computers in Google Tantalk, 1340.com, and you can see me live here in the studios in downtown Clearwater. Don't forget to check out our website, GolfstreamMotorsports.com, where you can find out all about us. Tommy! Good evening! How you doing back there? You know, I love a good uh, radio... Um, Screw up. <laughs> Technical screw up. That's the why I perils said. of YouTube. The perils of YouTube. Yeah, it's amazing how... What what that thing do? Go to uh, like one of those commercial things? Okay. Well, for a second there, I thought it was a MyPillow commercial. Then I'm going, wait a minute. What did we get? One of Bill's deals on there? Big shout out to Bill. You know, he does the Only in America Minute just before us. Or a minute. He does an hour or two. Uh, <laughs> anyway, all right. So you're hiding behind that COVID-19 glass over there, which we're in COVID-21 now. And according to Governor DeSantis masks are off so of course i think i might have worn a mask i don't think i could count it on one hand because i'm not into it i don't buy that boo-boo poo-poo crap but at any rate anyway mind your own business uh eat your vitamins eat your asparagus uh you know and all that other good stuff but anyway hey we got an exciting show for you tonight we got uh part two with gene winfield this evening so i'm looking forward to that talked to gene a few minutes ago so he's on Stand by when we call him. So what I do this weekend? Well, actually, you know what? This is the first time in a long time that I've actually, I just said, uh, you know what? I'm going to do something different. So Saturday morning, I hurried my butt down to Sarasota, hung out with my good friends there, Peter Sontag and the rest of the guys from Fastlane Travel. And they opened up one of those new uh, car, uh, private specialty car garages down there in Sarasota. Uh, down there behind Lakewood Ranch, and that was kind of cool. So we got to hang out with some people, and there were some pretty cool cars there. A friend of mine, Marty, had an absolutely, and I'm not really into late model supercars, but he's this guy's got some pretty cool stuff. He's got a Pantera that he modified, and it looks like the factory did it, and it's got a Coyote motor. Well, he had his Lamborghini, um, I think it's a, might be a Huracan. Could be Mercy Lago, but I think it was a Huracan. And uh, th- his cars, I will say one thing about Marty's cars, they sit perfect. Fernando was down there from uh, Buildworks, does 356s. Joe from uh, uh, Porsche Auto Tech thingy there, he was down there. Obviously, our good friends with Fastlane Travel were there. And of course, Fastlane Travel, what we're doing now, since we can't go to Germany and do all the factory Porsche tours, and I kind of freelance with them every once in a while. I took some tours back in 2000, or no, in 1980 and 81. We took the tour at the Porsche factory. And Fastlane Travel's been around since the 70s, and that's what they do. They specialize in driving tours in Germany on the Autobahn with Porsches, and that's um, pretty cool. And then they tour the factory, obviously. So those are a big deal. But since the COVID thing and all that stuff, so they've been doing some tours in America. So they're doing one in the Carolinas where they do the Tale of the Dragon. they got one in Colorado going on. Uh, I think they've also got one scheduled for California, Northern Cal, through the wine country, and then I believe New England. So check out Fastlane Travel. Big shout out to Peter and those guys. The other thing I did, then I hurried, 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 hurried back up, and I hauled butt from Sarasota all the way up to Ocala to hang out with my friends uh, Mike Flynn and the family at uh, Hollywood Wheels and the uh, Festivals of Speed Bunch. had not been there in a while. But this was at the World Equestrian Center. And I got to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, um, I'm not easily impressed because I've been to a lot of really cool places in my day. But the World Equestrian Center there in Ocala was pretty, pretty impressive. And the Festivals of Speed event up there was actually done very, very well. Happened to be the same weekend as the Kentucky Derby, so that was pretty cool. Uh, I met a gentleman there who was a pretty interesting guy. Had a really cool 65 satellite two-door hardtop set up with a 383 and a four-speed. Kind of cool. Very, very retro-looking, but very, very clean. Very, very clean car. Um, Very classy. Done very well. And uh, so he mentioned to me that in Ocala there was uh, a Cars and Coffee, which I'd never been to one. You know, and sometimes when you go to a lot of the local shows over and over and over, you know, you want something different for a change. So, you know, I usually go sometimes to Citrus, Fernando County, check out some of the stuff. I go to Orlando every once in a while. Sarasota is pretty cool. Once in a while I go to the East Coast. Uh, On a rare occasion I go down south, you know, and then obviously Amelia Island is coming up here in a couple weeks. So we'll be up in Amelia Island. And uh, so that was... uh, Went to the Cars and Coffee, met some people down there, talked to some people with about some pretty interesting cars and motorcycles. So that was cool. And then one of the guys there told me, he said, hey, there's a Mopar show going on in Inverness. So I went and checked out the, on my way back to Pine Alley County here, um, I went and checked out the uh, Citrus County Mopar show. So that was pretty cool. The guy over there, it was funny how a lot of people from Pinellas County moving up to Citrus, Hernando, Pasco, and, and beyond. And there was a guy there that had a 1974 Plymouth Barracuda 
with a 340 and a slapstick, and he'd bought the car new at the Plymouth dealership in St. Pete. I can't remember the name of it. Tommy, I don't know. Do you remember who the Plymouth dealership was in St. Pete? The guy couldn't even remember who it was. Um, <laughs> how about that? Anyway, and, and he'd been a mechanic there for, I don't know, years and years and years and years and years. So just goes to tell, show you, I mean, hell, I can't even remember what I had for breakfast this morning. I think I had Cheerios, but I'm not sure. Um, you know, my, my fiber. You know, I got to have your fiber. Anyway, uh, and that was that. And let's see, this weekend I think there's something going on. And the next weekend is the uh, a, a car show at the Villages. And then I think also the first Friday of the month, no, third Friday of the month, they have a car show in downtown Inverness, downtown, which is pretty cool. And then uh, obviously I think every Saturday the Citrus County Crystal River Bunch get together. So I've been going up there for some of the car shows. And... Um, and, of course, we have our stuff here. But if you want to find out where all the car shows are, definitely check out flacarshows.com, and you can find out where all the cool stuff is. Um, what else? What else? What else? Um, cars, cars, cars. I had a gentleman call me up today uh, from out west because, like you said, or like I said, I do PPIs and inspections and appraisals and stuff like that. And the gentleman was interested in a uh, 19, well, 2002 to 2012, 13, somewhere in there. Uh, RX-8. That was the last year that they built an RX, or a, a Mazda with a rotary engine. German design, Wankel design, of course, which was developed way back in the day. And then uh, NSU actually built a motor, um, a car with it. It was called the R80, R080, R80, Row 80, R080, something like that. And that was like 68, 69, 70, somewhere around that period. Um, the Wankel motor, extremely efficient. I remember in the 80s, 70s, late 70s, early 80s, in GTU, which is under two liter class, there was always this discrepancy in how they were classifying or rating the displacement on a, on a Wankel motor, you know, two rotors, and what the displacement was. But uh, I remember those little RX-7s used to run like holy heck in, uh, in GTU uh, at Sebring and Daytona and, and Road Atlanta and places like that used to run. And now they're kind of pretty popular in, in road racing. But out west, the JDM crowd, which is the Japanese domestic imports, I think that's what JDM stands for, uh, or maybe JDI, JDM, I think. But anyway, so uh, some of these Japanese cars are pretty pretty collectible. Um, 300ZX turbos, obviously Supras. Uh, there's a place over there called Injection, something or other over in Tampa. I think I did a GTR here about a year or two ago. I had to do a total loss uh, report on one. These guys are cranking out 12, 13, 14, 1500 horsepower. There's Lamborghini Huracans over there. These cars are cranking out close to 2000 horsepower. That's just mind blowing. When you walk up there and you see a GTR or a Lamborghini with a chute hanging off the back of it, you know you're talking seven seconds, eight seconds. You know, that's a pretty fast car. Well, fast, that's quick. Fast is a mile an hour. Quick is ET, elapsed time. Right, Tommy? Anyway, on that note, I think we're going to fire up the stereo. Tommy's going to play a little music. We're going to come right back, and we're going to start good. We're going to get a special guest on the show this evening for you. So uh, pick up part two with uh, Gene Weinfeld. Hey, you tune into Nostalgic Radio Cars. Here's a little Simon and Garfunkel, Tom, 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 1968. Look around, these are brown, and the sky is a hazy shade of winter. Here the Salvation Army band. Down by the riverside, it's bound to be a better ride than what you got planned. Carry your cup in your hand, and look around, these are brown now, and the sky. Is a hazy shade of winter I Hang on to your hopes, my friend That's an easy thing to say But if your hopes should pass away Simply pretend That you can build them again Look around The grass is high The fields are ripe It's the springtime of my life 
Come enjoy the best brews in Tampa Bay at Dunedin Brewery. Known as Florida's oldest microbrewery, they are always working to create a unique variety of craft beers for every taste. In addition, Dunedin Brewery features a full menu, including everything from their famous wings, burgers, salads, flatbreads, and more. Don't forget about their live music, including the Wednesday Night Players Jam. That's Dunedin Brewery, 937 Douglas Avenue in downtown Dunedin. Visit them online at dunedinbrewery.com. Looking for car shows? Then look no further than FLACarshows.com. On your computer or on your mobile device, FLACarshows.com is a comprehensive list of automotive events plus videos and news articles. Whether you're looking for car shows, cruise-ins, meetups, automotive festivals, cars and coffees, or anything else relating to an internal combustion engine, then this is a site for you. Check it out online or on your phone at FLACarshows.com. Okay, we're back. Let me see if I can get this mic adjusted. Oh, yes, I love it. Anyway, uh, yeah, RX-8. You know, we were talking about that a few minutes ago. And um, heck, those things, I think, from 2002 to 2012, like I said, anywhere between 180, 190, 230, 40 horsepower, something like that, you know, quite a bit. But they're pretty cool little cars. They got that uh, little suicide door on the RX-8s did, kind of like, you know, four trucks. (laughs) And Chevy trucks and Dodge trucks, you know, they got that little for the, so the passenger can get in the back. I'm trying to think there's another car that does that. Might be a Toyota of some kind that has that little deal too, that little partial little door back there. A couple of cars. It was kind of a trendy little thing there for a while during the early periods. But, you know, we got this generational shift going on. It's like, uh, you know, the old guys like me that are really diehard into the pre-72 cars. Yeah. And I'm taking an interest in old school hot rods. I mean, I'm looking forward to having Gene on here, but I was up at the Villages a couple weeks ago, and a guy had this, and I think I mentioned it last week, this really cool-looking Model A Ford Roadster. I mean, that was it. If you were like, you know, it's kind of like in the 30s and 40s or 40s and 50s, you had early part of the 50s. I mean, you had a Roadster. That was just the cool hot rod. Then in the late 50s, early, early 60s, 50s Merc was like the bad boy car, you know, um, and you know the, the rebellious type, you know. And then of course in the seven, 60s, you know, you had your big box Chevelles, and you had your big block Ford Torinos, and you had your GTOs and your Roadrunners, and you know all your your big your big cars with big motors and four speeds. And uh, and in the 60s, we really had some pretty cool stuff, you know. So uh, I saw a car that was on Facebook today that I thought was kind of interesting, made kind of a neat little hot rod. It was a 60 Merc two door. Now that's not a real I'm not going to say it's a real popular car, but it's definitely a stylish-looking car. But in my mind, you know, I'm thinking straight axle gasser. You know, I mean, old school hot rod. The thing about an old school hot rod, it just, it, it just, uh, it screams like uh, it's cool. You know, I mean, it's, it screams nostalgia, and uh, so that's what's really cool. And nobody picks it apart. Everybody, you know, because I was telling the guy too when when you do when I do appraisals, if a car's done in a in period. You know, uh, to me, that's that's pretty impressive. I mean, you go to the car show, and there's a hundred stock restored cars, and they're not all restored correctly. Okay, but everybody thinks they are because you know they did. So everybody gets picky about that, including me. But on an old school hot rod, you just look for unique features, just like this gentleman I was telling you about, Larry. Big shout out to Larry with that '65 satellite. That was just a cool looking car, done very well. Had a little bit of a rake to it. Some big fatsies, fat meats on the back, and some. Uh, he didn't have skinnies on the four inches on the front, but he had uh, you know six inch wheels on the front. But it was and there was spoke like kind of American racing wheel looking kind, of, which was popular back in the day, you know, Kragers, things like that. But uh, torque thrusts were like the wheel of choice, and uh, it was just done very well. And uh, so I was I was impressed with that car, and that's kind of what I look for, you know. Uh, when I went to the, the festivals of speed event up there, there was a lot of n- new cars there, a lot of supercars, some some classics, you know, your collection of Corvettes and stuff too. And usual Chevelles and Mustangs and stuff. But, you know, every, every so often there's these cars that really stand out. Those are the cars that leave you with an impression, and this car was one of them. On that note, I think Tommy's going to go ahead and fire up the Ray Didio one more time. We're going to go ahead and get our guests on the line before I forget. No, I, not, I never forget. I'm like an elephant. And uh, on that note, I think we got, uh, oh, how about a little Sunny and Shared? Yeah, the beat goes on. We're into this time, time, beat goes on thing. Hey, you're tuning in to Nostalgic Radio Cars. Don't touch that double. We'll be right back with our very special guest, Gene Winfield, and part two. Let's keep pounding a rhythm to the brain. la da 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 la da 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 
Charleston was once the Goes on. The drums keep pounding a rhythm to the brain. La da 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 dee. La da 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 The grocery stores are supermodel. to war Electrically they keep a baseball score And the beat goes on The beat goes on Drums keep pounding a rhythm to the brain la da 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 la da 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 Grandma's sitting chairs and reminisce Boys keep chasing girls to get a kiss The cars keep a going faster all the time The beat goes on Drums keep pounding a rhythm to the brain la da 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 dee la da 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 die And the beat goes on Yes, the beat goes on And the beat goes on What do you get when you cross Suzanne Summers and Goldie Hunt? You get Linda Martin. And I'm listening to the Sound of Radio and Cars. Why don't you? Okay, we're back. And uh, we'll have a guest on here in a few minutes, so I'll just go ahead and interject for a second. Uh, Linda Vaughn, what a sweet lady. Um, when I was at SEMA a couple of years ago, uh, she's always there. Always bright, always cheerful. And, of course, I remember back in the 70s when I used to go to all the drag races, the 70s and 80s. I used to see her every once in a while. And uh, so even standing on the back of the hearse cars. So that was pretty cool. But I had the honor of dancing with Linda Vaughn. Uh, the song came on. It was Mustang Sally of all songs. How coincidental that was. Me being a Ford guy, Mustang guy, and stuff like that. And she was standing there. She was looking at me, and there was a couple of people standing around. And you know how women kind of rock back and forth a little bit, you know? And I said, yeah, let me guess. You want to dance, right? She goes, yes. Would you dance with me? And I said, certainly. And uh, that was pretty cool. That was at SEMA um, about three or four years ago. So she was pretty cool. Um, the song, And the Beat Goes On by the... Uh, Sonny and Cher, the lady that came up with the dun, 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 the bass line for that song, her name is Carol Kay. She was an original um, sessions musician, played with uh, Glenn Campbell and other people, great people of the day. And we have reached out to her. We're trying to get her on the show because I thought that was really cool because she was out of the – started in the 50s. And some of the songs that she played on, back, backing vocal or not mu- uh, vocals, but backing song, you know, rhythm uh, and bass, because she got a bass, uh, absolutely, totally amazing. And uh, so we're looking forward to having Carol Kay on. Anyway, I'm delighted to welcome to the show this evening. We got the legendary part two with the legendary Gene Winfield. Gene, how are you doing this evening? Gene, are you there? Did we lose you? Yeah, hello. hello. Hey, 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 Gene, how you doing, buddy? 
Just fine. Good. All right. So let's pick up where we left off. The last time we talked, you had just were working on your deal about moving out into the Mojave Desert. So tell us how that all came about then again. Well, I sold my property down in the valley, mm-hmm. and um, I had 90, 90 day escrow. So I had 90 days to find a new place, and I used up 60, 60 days and couldn't find nothing that I could afford with the deposit that I had available, you know? Mm-hmm. And I finally um, was talking on the phone to a friend of mine, and he says, oh, he says, a friend of mine has a place for sale up here near near Mojave. So he gave me the number, and... I called up there and went up there the next day, and I said, "Well, okay, I'll buy it, but I got to do it now." <laughs> so I did, and and I, uh, you know, started moving the next day. So seventeen truckloads of stuff and and whatnot. Then I, I moved in up here. Was the was the place ready to go, or how big a facility was it when you moved out there? Uh, it was, yeah, it was. Uh, uh, it had a garage which they had originally rented out for a couple of things. It, it was a at one time I think it was a Packard a Packard um, facility. Really? And then the, uh, somebody told me later that it was at one time it was a Corvette place. But anyway, so yeah, it was a it was a workshop and uh, whatnot. So I moved in and <clears throat> started working. Now, for the for our listeners, tell people what the what Mojave Desert is like because you're kind of like out there in the middle of nowhere. I mean, it's like south of Bakersfield. You're northeast, I think, of Palm Springs, and you're northeast of I-10, right? And it's like you're up in the up in. Yeah, I'm just north of in the city of Lancaster. Oh, Lancaster. Okay. And and Palmdale. You know, those are two uh, two nice cities and. So I'm uh, well, 17 miles uh, north of those cities, and um, there's one little city, uh, uh, Rosamond, um, that's uh, five miles from me. So anyway, I'm I'm enjoying it, and I uh, I uh, have a nice uh, nice facility, and uh, we keep keep going. We're building cars. Well, now here I want to share share share. I want you to share with us. You actually do. Classes and workshops um, yes. at your facility, and I know you also travel around still doing workshops. So tell us about you. I do a few workshops. I have one coming up in New Jersey, uh-huh. and, uh huh, and at uh, Rob Ida's place, and and then uh, <clears throat> I have one coming up here in a, in a couple of months, and so I will do a, a metalworking class which I teach all kinds of fabrication and, and welding and things like that. So it, it, that goes over very well. The, I usually have uh, anywhere on students, I have anywhere from oh, uh, 20 to 30 students on these classes, and, uh, and they, uh, they, they all go home learning something, all of them. I guarantee you, I, uh, I teach them all something. So let me ask you a question. What's the profile? I mean, the guys that come there, are they beginners? Are they novice? Are they people that already know stuff? What if I know nothing about bodywork? What can I take away from your show, your workshop? There are all kinds. Some of them, some of them excuse me, some of them are well-known body men, and, uh, and they're very, um, you know, uh, uh, old in their class, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... Some of them, uh, they they already know a lot about it, but I end up teaching them also. So I teach uh, very, very novice, very beginners, and also the experienced uh, body men. I teach them all. They all, I all, I give them something to to uh, to learn and and to start, you know, start uh, practicing different things, and, and they all love it. So let's just say I I don't know anything. I'm not a good welder. So if I came to your class, and I know you teach people how to use the English wheel, I know you show people how to form metal, is welding something that I could pick up like within your two-day classes? Oh, absolutely. 
Okay. Absolutely. Yeah, we show you how to wire weld, and and we uh, show you how to TIG, TIG weld, and and uh, gas weld, uh, uh, gas weld aluminum, and gas weld steel. Yes, all all kinds. Okay. Of the of the up and coming um, car customizers that are out there today, who do you think's pretty good? Who impresses you? Well, there's uh, there's several young people that are that are you know taking a hold of it and, and and running with it, and they're doing real good. Okay, anybody in particular that uh, you you think's pretty good? Chip Chip Foose, of course. Oh yeah. Um, you know, I, I, his father worked for me in three different shops. Oh, no kidding! Oh, oh yeah, Sam Foose worked for me, and uh, and uh, we taught each other a few things, and and it was great. And and so um, Chip is one of them, and there's uh, several others that uh, can't think of their names right this minute. But how about Dave Kindig? Have you ever done some stuff with Dave Kindig? Yeah, I, I did a, a show with him, a, G, a TV show. And uh, yeah, I, I taught the, his some of his men. We we built a, a panel, and I taught him a few things. Okay, and it worked out fine. It was great. Hey, let's digress for a second. I know you you did a bunch of movie cars, but I heard a story. And tell me if this is true. I heard a story that you and Tweety drove back from Phoenix on I ten, and you were driving the you guys were driving the Get Smart Sunbeam, and some people were kind of like in front of you, and I guess you know it had that little cannon thing that came up out of the hood, and you guys kind of you know kind of were playing around with some people, you know, kind of freaking people out with that thing. Is there any truth to that story? Yeah, yeah, that's partly true. Okay, <laughs> we had we had fun, and um, <clears throat> so the the people couldn't figure out what was going on. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, no, it was great. It was. It was. It's all true. Okay. You have also uh, been involved with writing a couple books. I think your most recent one is uh, Racing Days Scrapbook. Tell us about that book a little bit, because um, we talked about your earlier days when you were racing, and then you know, because you were out there on the dry lakes and and Bonneville and stuff. You know, kind of a yeah, hot rodder. That's all true. It uh, it covers all kinds of stories and all kinds of things, which, which I did, and. Uh, and so I uh, I learned you know, learned quite a bit about racing. My first the first time when I <clears throat> I was going to run uh, run a car at El Mirage Dry Lake, and I went to SoCal Speed Shop, and Don Spencer was working there. He was quite a fabricator and and um, builder, and so he <clears throat> he told me what tire pressure to run and and uh, how to set up the car and what jets and, and so forth. And so I asked him, I said, well, how fast do you think I'm going to go with my gear ratio and my tire size? He says, oh, he says, you ought to go 120. Well, I was only hoping for 105, 110, something like that. And so I went out there, and the very first time I I ran, <clears throat> I uh, I hit a bump and it scared the hell out of me and I backed off of it and then made me mad and I put my foot back in it so I turned 112. Then I got right back in line, didn't change anything and I turned 122 uh, something, 122.90 and I was very, very happy with that, very, very pleased with that that speed for my very, very first time of driving on the dry lakes. When you guys were building cars and you're running at the dry lakes and you're running at speeds excess of a hundred miles an hour, do you guys were you guys concerned about safety equipment? I mean, how did you? How was your car equipped from from that standpoint? Yes. We um, at first um, first at El Mirage, you only had to have a, a safety belt, you know, a safety belt. Some some cars had a roll bar and and some didn't, but. Uh, so it was uh, it was a little scary, but um, I uh, <clears throat> I was very uh, aware of it, and and so I I had a roll bar and and a uh, safety belt, of course, and uh, so it uh, worked out just fine. Okay, um, when you built the other car, the coupe, did you? 
incorporate any more safety features? In other words, did it have a full roll cage in it or anything like that, or was it the same thing, just a loop in it and a seatbelt? Yes, it had a full roll cage and, and a seatbelt, of course. And it was very tight, very cramped to drive it. Um, I, I can't hardly drive it anymore. It's the, my, my knees are up in my face. <laughs> just It's really uh, cramped, so I, I don't, I'm not going to drive it anymore. Now, I heard, and tell me how true this is, I heard that you still have a lot of the cars that you built uh, back in the day. No, not a lot, but I did. Um, uh, I bought I bought back the two aluminum cars that I built. Okay. Uh, one I call the Reactor, and the other one is the Strip Star. So those two cars I built for people, built for clients, and then later bought them back so that I, I own both of them right now. Okay. And, uh, and so I have fun, and I, I show them in, in car shows and things like that, and it's great, great to be able to own those those two cars. Well, the reactor, you had at Pebble Beach a few years back because I met you there, and I was talking to you for a few minutes, and it, uh, it garnered quite a crowd there, the reactor did. Yes, yes, every place, every place I put it or every place I go, with it, it, it creates a tremendous crowd. That's was, very true. There was another car that you did that I think uh, was featured on the Jay Leno episode. Which car was that? What had, I think, uh, where you sit in it, kind of like a cockpit, and was a hot rod, and was Ford-powered? What was that car? That's the Strip Star. Oh, that's the Strip Star. Okay. Yeah. Now, that one you, you built from scratch, too. Is that car all aluminum? Yes. Both of them are all aluminum. Okay. Yeah. What what was the chassis based on on that car? Um, the uh, the chassis on the Strip Star is a uh, forty eight Ford. Oh, okay. Forty eight Ford, which I shortened, and and it has the the big Ford engine in it. And then the other one, uh, I used a Citroen chassis, a French car called the Citroen. Uh huh. And I used the Citroen chassis, and <clears throat> and it's. Um, front-wheel drive Corvair, Corvair front-wheel drive engine in that one. Oh, interesting, interesting. What was the inspiration for that car? I mean, was that car, did you build that just to build it, or was that originally intended to be used in a TV series, The Bewitched, and then ultimately in uh, Star Trek? I I built it for a client. Oh, really? uh, Yeah, and they put it in auto shows for a year, a year or two, and uh, and then the guy kept... uh, Called me up bitching about the, the car was leaking oil, <laughs> and uh, so I said, "Well, if you don't like it, why don't you sell it back to me?" So he did. I had to hawk my house and and <laughs> you know borrow some money to buy it. So I bought it back, and and then I I checked it out, and so we had we had a oil um, an oil plug in the wrong place. So I changed an oil plug underneath the car from one one position to another, and then that stopped the oil leak. And of course, I didn't know that that was going on, you know. Uh-huh. And so I, uh, uh, <clears throat> so I still have both of those cars. How many cars did you build for the movie for mo- for the movie industry? Well, I never never kept track because uh, some of them I I supplied cars for. Or commercials and things like that. Like one time on a on a Shell oil commercial, I supplied twenty cars, uh-huh. and that w- I would rent them for the from the customer, the owner, rent them from the owner, and then re-rent them to the studio. And so I had to come up with twenty twenty cars to do that, and that that took a couple of months, you know, to put that all together. But so I did all kinds of crazy stuff, and. Uh, so I never kept track of how many cars. <clears throat> on the uh, on the set Blade Runner, you built those cars. What was it like working with Sid Mead? Well, it was great. Uh, uh, he was he was nice to me, and and um, <clears throat> so he. Uh, I had always heard that. Uh, well, Ridley Scott was <clears throat> the director, and. Uh, he came to my shop while I was building the cars, and and uh, he he looked underneath the car, and he 
he started uh, complaining about this or that, you know, he wanted this thing just perfect on the bottom side. Well, then in the movie, you never saw any of it. It was it was at night and it was black and, he, he, you know, you never saw any part of the bottom uh-huh. as far as up close where you could realize what's there and what's not there, you know. And so it was it was interesting. And um, so we, we had, I had fun doing all that. Now, did they give you free reign and design, or did Sid Mead actually say, here, here's what I, here's my conceptual drawing, build this? Well, no, he, yeah, he, he gave the drawings to the studio, okay. to the art director of the studio, so I pretty much built them uh, to his drawings. Okay. You know, a little, little leeway, but I pretty much drew built them to exactly what he had drawn and uh, that was all fine I, I didn't mind i can i can take a rendering uh, that somebody has done and i can build the car from that rendering and it'll look just like the rendering so it's just a matter of uh, um, my knowledge of being able to do that and and to follow up and make the thing look right and yet it's built out of something else whatever you know what type of materials did you use to build? Was it was it aluminum? Was it fiberglass? Was it uh, plastic? What? Mostly aluminum. Oh, really? Mostly aluminum. And then a lot of the movie cars I did, I did, I did use fiberglass. So you know we had to build them in a hurry, and sometimes we'd have to create a car just in a week or two, and uh, and it, that that was a you know a problem, and we'd create it. Uh, Make a plug and then take a take a mold off the plug and and then create a fiberglass fiberglass body. So that was done a lot. Okay. Let's jump over to the AMT days. Now that's something you started in the late fifties, early sixties. How did the AMT connection come about for you? Well, they came to me and they wanted to hire me, and uh, and they had a guy that was kind of handling the. Um, the uh, that part of it, and uh, <clears throat> so I, I was I was given some in some cases I was giving a drawing piece of artwork, and then I'd have to build it pretty much like that that artwork, and that artwork could have been an, an artist from AMT or Sid Mead or or whoever, but uh, so it it all worked out just fine. Okay, because now, like, I was a kid back in the day, and I used to read Car Model Science Magazine, Model Car Magazine. You know, I was into all that stuff. Cartoons was another one. So, and I used to love building three-in-one kits. And AMT was notorious for three-in-one kits and customizing. How much influence did you have on some of those early kits that I and many other kids out of the 60s used to build? Well, I had a lot. Um, but what they would do, they would furnish an artist... Uh, from the art department of AMT, they would furnish this artist, and then we would look. Maybe we would look at a stock car. We uh, AMT was able to get uh, pictures of cars six months before they came out, before announcement time. So we would take the pictures of the new car that is coming out, and then rework it. And uh, so with that artist, I would rework it and and, and uh, have him draw up the, the grills and the various things of which I would make those changes. And that all worked out fine. And, and then once I got into it, I would maybe change them a little bit. But was, basically, they were fairly close to the artwork of which we drew up. Okay, so basically it was kind of like they came up with an artwork, and then but you were instrumental in giving them ideas and pointers on what custom cars were all about and what they looked like back in the day then, right? Absolutely, that's positively. So we would put custom grills in, in, in a stock-bodied car and custom taillights and all that, so I did that a lot. Okay, cool. Well, I remember. Remember, they had it was testers' glue is what we used, and testers had their putty filler. And I mean, it was really cool back in the day. I mean, I you know, they're, now they're starting to bring some of that stuff back. But we need to get kids involved in that kind of stuff again, you know. So uh, speak up a little louder. I can hardly hear you. <laughs> I said we need to get kids involved in uh, building model cars again. You know, that's what we need to do and pick up where they uh, where we left off. 
Absolutely. I agree. Um, they did a documentary on you one time, and it was called King of Customs. Tell us about that uh, documentary. Well, it, uh, it went very well, and they interviewed me, and I, I told them this, this straight scoop and told them everything I knew, and, and they, they wrote it down and made a nice article out of it. Okay. Um, some of the other people I think they mentioned in there, you worked with Dean Jeffries, Cushenberry, and people like that. What were they like to work with? Well, I didn't really work with any of them. Oh. Um, uh, we we all had separate jobs and separate cars that we were building. So me and Barris and Cushenberry and the Alexander brothers, all those people, we all had separate, uh, separate artists and separate uh, jobs. And so I didn't really work with them. Uh, hardly at all. Well, was there a camaraderie like with the guys in the LA area? Because the Alexander brothers are out of Detroit, and uh, and and you and Cushenberry and and Dean Jeffries were all kind of like the, part of the LA crowd. Um, did you guys kind of hang out? Uh, we after that after we met and and had some of those uh, meetings and some of those things. Then then we did yes. Okay. Did you guys exchange ideas and stuff too? I mean, and come and kind of uh, influence one another? Oh, not very much. Okay. We we all wanted to be independent and have our own ideas, so there's very little exchange of ideas. Okay. Uh, Daryl Starberg, um, he was you know he's known as the Bubble Top King. That was kind of like his thing, and. So and and so, what was your what were, what what do you what were you most known for? What was your specialty back then? Oh, I don't know. I just uh, I created uh, two cars out of aluminum, you know, right? The Strip Star and the Reactor. So I built those two cars out of aluminum, and and that's kind of kind of what uh, gave me the start or the the uh, the nationwide publicity and things like that. Uh huh. Your painting, um, were, you know, with candy colors and metal flakes, and and the blending and the fading—that was kind of like another thing that you were well known for back then, which you kind of yes. pioneered in the fifties. Yes, I started the uh, the blending of paint, and uh, I started that clear back in the sixties. You know, uh, and, and I did it a little bit, and then gradually we did some magazine stories and started showing it off and. And so it was great that I was able to create that the blending of paint, and I still do it today, of course. Uh huh. You also have a coloring book out there. It's called the Gene Winfield Coloring Book, and it has cars in there. Tell us about that a little bit. That's to kind of influence a younger generation to get into uh, yeah, the car business. That's my latest book. Uh, I have four books out altogether, but that's my latest book. It's only been out a few months, and it's going like crazy. They're just uh, we can't hardly supply them fast enough. Wow, it's doing doing real good. There's another book, and I'm not exactly sure if I got the title right, but it's Legendary Custom Cars and Hot Rods of Gene Winfield, and I guess it was written by an author by the name of David Grant. Tell us about that book. Yeah, that um, that took um, it took a few months to put that together. Uh, David worked with me, and we had to dig up. Uh, you know, old photos and and all kinds of history, and uh, and it went it went very well, and and the book was fabulous, and uh, I still I still make that book again today. Okay, um, in your honest opinion, do you think? I mean, and and you see these cars that are out there, custom cars. When you go to SEMA, what are some of your thoughts? I mean, do you do you see the retro style? of what you kind of, you know, the period that you came from, do you see that coming back? Yes, and, uh, and of course, there's, there's so many uh, modern techniques now, and uh, so there is uh, a lot of people, a lot of the builders are using the, the high-end, uh, you know... Uh, materials from and techniques? Materials, and, and from, the, from the photographs, they're... They're able to create some really nice, nice custom cars. Well, because I know every year when I go to SEMA and you look around, you know, when you walk around Central Hall, um, I'm really amazed at the talent 
uh, that's there. Some of these people that build these cars, and they're and they're not even thirty yet. They're in their twenties, and they're influenced yeah. by guys like you and and uh, and Dean Jeffries and and Cushenberry and and people like that. Yeah, that's all true. Yeah, they're they're doing a wonderful job, and they're just doing a fabulous. Uh, they're taking the 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 cars to a, a little finer uh, area, you know, a little. Uh, they're they're carrying carrying on what what we might have left a little rough, so to speak. They're continuing and they're, they're perfecting perfecting those designs to the utmost, and they're just doing a wonderful job. If you had to sit there and tell people listening right now, you know, as as far as you know, what is something you want to share? What was something you'd like to tell people about the custom? custom car industry because that's really what you are you're a custom car builder yes yes i am and uh and i love it and i what i do is i i'll look at a car for maybe 10 15 minutes and then i decide how i can change it how i can enhance it and make it look better and uh and so i'm able to do that and then i i quite often just go to work on it and make those changes so I'm able to uh, to create and and do that just by looking at it for ten or fifteen minutes, and then I uh, I you know come up with these custom ideas. So are you still partial to the nostalgic cars and the nostalgic styles? Or when you look at new cars, do you still kind of feel compelled to kind of modify those, or is it just an old school yeah, no, instinct? I, no, I look at you know, all the new models every year. And, New models come out, and I, I look at, I maybe go to a, 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 a new car show, and look them over, and maybe take a few pictures, and and then I figure out uh, what I can do, and 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 I don't always have a customer, you know, but I I figure out in my mind what I can do to to each and every one of those new cars to make it look better and pretty and and. And enhance it. So I do that all the time. Well, Gene, we are up against the clock. I again, I want to thank you for hanging out with us here at Nostalgic Radio and Cars. So, if people want to find out more about you, where do they go? They just go to Gene Winfield's Custom Shop dot com. Sure, they can find me. Yep. Okay, and then they can get your books and your T shirts and find out about all your workshops, right? Yes, that's very true. Okay. Um, yes, have him look me up. I'll do that. I look forward to seeing you. I will stay in touch. And if you come to Florida, I'm going to participate in one of your workshops, Gene. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you very much. I want to thank my special guest, Gene Winfield, the legendary car customizer. And uh, 93 years old, almost 94, going strong. So uh, my hat's off to this gentleman. Hey, guys, you know, custom cars are cool. Old cars are cool. All cars are cool. Hey, I want to see you guys at some of the car shows. Don't forget to check out our website every... Or our website, but don't forget to check out our radio show. Blah, blah, blah. Our radio show here every Tuesday night on the Tent Talk Radio Network where you can find out all about us, where you can hear some of the most fascinating and legendary people in motorsports and in music. Hey, I want to see some of the car shows. In the meantime, everybody stay safe, drive carefully, and love your family. WTAN, Clearwater, FM 106.1, WDCF, Dade City, FM 102.3, WZHR, Zephyr Hills, FM 104.3. Listen.